Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for Jesus, and um, I want to thank you for uh, this story uh, that we're going to study today from the life of Jacob as we're continuing through uh, in this uh, anti-hero series. Just uh, pray that uh, I absolutely would be out of your way um, and that your text would speak and that you would speak uh, to each and every one of us in this room. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his grace. It is in his name that we pray. Amen. Have you ever had a situation where the expected response was really just not what you anticipated? Right? Maybe you go back to your dating years and you think about uh, you were in this dating relationship and you thought it was getting really serious and that things were going really, really well. And the two of you go out to dinner one night and you finally are the one that breaks the tension and you say, I love you. And their response is, thank you. Or I'm very fond of you as well, which is, which is worse than thank you. And all of a sudden, like, you expected this thing to be returned and it just didn't happen the way that you expected it to happen. Or maybe you worked on a presentation at work and you were up all night the night before, putting it together, PowerPoint, binders, all of this stuff, and you show up the next day and you absolutely nail it. You kill the presentation, it couldn't have gone better. And your boss comes up to you at the end of it and says, Good, good job, thank you, but we're heading in a different direction. We're, we're not going uh, to follow your lead on this, and you're just kind of crushed. Or maybe it happened at Christmas, and you really put a lot of thought into it, and you thought you had like the perfect gift for someone. And you're like, man, they're going to love this. I'm, I'm killing it on this gift. They're going to love it. And then Christmas morning, they opened it, and like they said thank you and everything. They're not, they're not a jerk, but you could just tell. Like they weren't that excited about it. And that's exactly what is going to happen in our story with Jacob today is you would expect uh, for, da- for Jacob, excuse me, to react differently. His response is not what you would anticipate as this story uh, unfolds. And we're kind of picking up where we left off last week. If you remember, Jacob uh, has kind of swindled his family. He's lied to his dad, swindled his brother, and kind of gotten his claim uh, to the family inheritance. And God has kind of promised that he's going to execute his promises through Jacob, despite his birth order and despite these, to be kind, lapses in his character, right? God is going to build the nation through Jacob. And Jacob, like I said last week, he refuses to wait on God's timing on that. Um, He went after his birthright on his own. He angered his brother. And he's kind of forced to run. Isaac, uh, his dad, says, you really should go to Laban. And you should go to Laban and you should find a wife. And we're going to see that next week, uh, what what happens with that. He says, I want you to go find a a wife. And Isaac accepts that God is going to work through Jacob to fulfill the promise. And it's on his way uh, to Laban's that our story happens next when uh, Jacob stops uh, for, for a rest. It said, Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth and its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will bring you and your descendants to the land which you are living. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and through your offspring. I am with you. I will watch over you wherever you go and I will bring you 
uh, back to this land. I will not leave you until I've, I have done what I have promised you. And the first thing I want you to see in this text is this dream. There's this stairway, right? And it's resting on the earth and it's reaching into heaven and these angels are ascending and descending on it. And this was God's reminder to Jacob, and I think this is really beautiful, that God and his workers, specifically God, is at work and is active in this world and will see his promises through. And it should be a reminder to us as we kind of envision the dream that Jacob had. I want to remind you in the middle of COVID, in the middle of pandemic, in the middle of all this stuff, God is active and involved in his creation. God is active and involved in creation. And sometimes as we see in the scripture, sometimes he executes his will and he's active and involved through the work of angels, right? We see the angelic work right from the beginning. If you remember the very beginning of Genesis, the beginning of this uh, kind of four-year journey on, that we're on through the book of Genesis, that in that scene, the man and the woman are created. They're told not to eat from a certain uh, tree in the garden. They disobeyed God. They eat the forbidden fruit. Um, and there's this really tender scene where God kind of banishes the man and the woman from the garden, and, and they're forced to leave. And let me just show you what the text says. This is after he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to the way to the tree of life. And you think you might be tempted to think, man, uh, I thought you said this was a beautiful display. This seems like God is angry and he's punishing them. And you might be tempted to think God seems done with them and he isn't. This story is actually a demonstration of his grace. He says, man, in your sinful state, I don't want you to be able to eat from the tree of life and live forever in your sinful state. So I want to do something about your sinful state. I want to be able to forgive your sin. I want to be able to restore you and, and use you again. So he says, he banishes them and he, put, and he uses his angels uh, to, to guard the way so that they can't eat from the tree of life and live forever as, as sinful beings. So he uses angels. And to use Jacob's metaphor here, he sends these angels kind of down the escalator to block that from happening so he can execute his plan to deal with our sin. And later in the book of Revelation, when sin's been dealt with as a side note, the tree of life from Genesis appears again. And in that story, we're now free to eat uh, from that tree and live forever because sin has been dealt with through Jesus. There's another story about God's angelic work in the book of Daniel. Uh, and, and in this book, Daniel is in exile and the king issues a decree that no one is allowed to pray to any other God except for the king, King Darius. And Daniel is a God-fearing man. He loves to pray. He hears the decree and he kind of engages in civil disobedience. He refuses to do that. He continues to pray three times a day out in the open where everyone can see him. And the punishment for disobeying the king on this was to be thrown into a den of lions uh, and, and, and to be uh, killed that way. And this is exactly what happens to, to Daniel. And the next morning, the king gets up and he's feeling really guilty about what he's done because he knows Daniel is a good guy. He feels really guilty about what he's done and he goes uh, to where he threw Daniel into the lion's den and, and Daniel is alive, God's protected him and it says this, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight nor have I done anything wrong before you, O king. God has a desire for Daniel to be saved and his angel gets on that down escalator and he comes to earth and he does exactly that. Later on in the birth of Jesus, God's ultimate act of grace in the world, we see angels all throughout that story. The angels appear to Joseph and Mary. Later, there's a great company of the heavenly hosts that appear to the shepherds to prepare the way for our Savior. God sent the angels down that down escalator 
to come to earth in order to prepare his way. And listen, I love these stories, I do. I could go all day on this, actually. Um, I think it's interesting to think about how often God uses his angels. And having an angel by your side to think about is amazing. But you know what the Bible teaches? That on that story that I just referenced years ago, there came this time when the Son of God, God in human flesh, got on that down escalator and he came to earth. It wasn't just an angel that time. It was the Son of God and he came to earth and he healed people and he taught people and he eventually was killed and rose from the dead and Jesus came and he was God at work in our world. You know, the scriptures also teach that one day, a short time after his resurrection, Jesus got back on the up escalator. Right? He returned to heaven where he is seated at the right hand of the Father. And one day he's going to back on the down escalator and he's going to come back down to be sure. But it leaves us to wonder, like, so Jesus has gone back up. It's like he done with the world. Is the escalator kind of down for repairs, if you will? And the story goes that God sent his helper, the Holy Spirit, just a short time later to come down the down escalator and he's here to stay. And now today the Holy Spirit is doing his work. It's not just angels that work in our world. The Holy Spirit is primarily at work sustaining us and changing us and empowering us and making us new. It is a beautiful and incredible thing. As a matter of fact, the scriptures say the angels long to see this. They've been up and down that escalator a hundred times, maybe a million times. Those angels have been up and down the escalator. Like, man, I long to see the angels say what it looks like when God comes down the escalator. When God comes down and in the form of Jesus and he's at work in mankind. And then when God comes down in the form of the Holy Spirit and he indwells his people, the angels are like, I want to see what that looks like. And you and I get to see it. Every single day, empowered by the Holy Spirit, this God who loves us enough that he sent his spirit down the escalator to inhabit each and every one of us and to work through us and change us and make us new. Here's what I want you to know this AM. This isn't a sermon about angels at work. This is a story about God at work. And I want you to know today, God is at work in our world. Even in a broken and messy situation like Jacob's, God is at work. And he's at work in your story too, through his Holy Spirit. And in a lot of different ways, he's at work in you. Uh, He hasn't left you. He hasn't abandoned you. He's not through with you. He continues to be at work in each and every one of our stories. Now the story continues. So first we get the kind of visual of the dream, the angels coming up and down uh, the stairway. And then you get the words of God after the dream. And there above it stood the Lord, kind of at the top of the escalator. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, the God of Isaac. I will give you uh, your descendants, the land in which you are living. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and through your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until the work I have done, uh, until I have done what I have promised you. Now, if you'll give me just two quick minutes, I want you to kind of pay attention to what he promises Jacob here. We've read it now twice. Now I want to show you just in Genesis chapter 12, about a year ago, we studied this text. Here's what God says to Abraham. The Lord said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household. Go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And this is kind of the airplane view of what God is doing. 
He's nation building. He's, I'm going to build a nation, and through that nation, the entire world will be blessed. And he calls Abraham, and Abraham has a son, Isaac, and Isaac has these two sons, uh, Jacob and Esau, and God chooses to work through Jacob to fulfill his promise. And you'll notice that the promise to Abraham and the promise to Jacob are strikingly similar. Why? God is reminding Jacob of the promise he made to Abraham, and he's reminding him of a greater truth even than that. He, that He's reminding them that he always keeps his promises. And I love, there's two big elements uh, to, to this promise as it unfolds. In addition to the land and the blessing and all this stuff, there's two promises I really want to highlight this morning. And the first one is this, I am with you. I am with you. Jacob needs to be reminded of this because I believe Jacob at this point in the story, he is running in fear. He's afraid. He's deeply afraid. And God just comes to him, shows up in this dream, and wants to remind him, hey, Jacob, before you run another step, before you run another step, I want to remind you, I am with you. And I think he's scared for a couple reasons. One is, it's just a scary season of life. For some of us, it's been longer than others. But do you remember going out on your own for the first time? Uh, do you remember kind of getting your first job uh, your first house, having your first child. All of those firsts are scary when you're kind of first going out on your own. It is a scary season of life. In addition to that, one thing we all have in common is we're all experiencing our first right now, our first pandemic, right? This is our first time uh, going through this and all of the firsts can be unknown and really scary. And Jacob didn't know a pandemic, but he is facing a lot of first time things away from the shelter of mom and dad. And God just wants to remind him, and it's a beautiful thing, hey, you're not alone. I'm with you. I'll help you. I'll provide for you. I'll be with you. Now, some of it's scary because all of these firsts are scary. Some of it is scary because boyfriend here royally screwed up, right? Our boy here screwed up. He stole from his dad. He ruined his relationship with his brother, and now his brother literally wants to kill him. And in his grace, God says, hey, Jacob, I know you screwed up. I know you messed up big. I'm still with you. If you'll come to me, I'll forgive you, but I'll also provide you the leadership you need to start walking your way out of this. God says, let me lead you and guide you to a better way. And some of you in this room here today, maybe you feel this way. You're like, man, I screwed up this week and I screwed up big. God is saying, come back to me. Come back to me. So describe some of us. We messed up, screwed up royally, and everybody agrees, including you. And some of us in this room, we've been running from God for years because of our shame. And today, maybe we need to realize, like Jacob, that, because, that what's true for Jacob is true for us because of Jesus, that he's with us. And that we need to stop running from him and we need to start running toward him for his grace and his presence and his leadership. That our past doesn't have to continue to be our present. We can choose a different and better way. That we may have screwed up, but we can begin to move forward from that and choose a better path and he'll show us the way to go. Presence matters. God's presence matters. I was reminded this week, I was talking to somebody in the office about the scariest situation Cheryl and I have ever had in a vehicle. Uh, and it was before kids, it was, we were, uh, hadn't been married uh, that long, but we were, we were serving here. And uh, we had gone away for our anniversary, which is the end of December, and we'd gone to the Smoky Mountains 
to, to have kind of a weekend away. And uh, we were doing some sightseeing and we were traveling around and we were traveling up this mountain and about halfway up the mountain, we hit blinding fog. It was a fog like I have never seen before. And in the Smoky Mountains, it was one of those situations where the particular cabin we were in, there was no guardrail. And so off the mountain, off the road, off the mountain, off your life, right? <laughs> right? Yeah, that, that sort of thing. And so we, we couldn't hardly see anything but about two or three feet in front of us tops. I mean, it was really, really blinding fog. And all we had was this GPS system, one of those old ones that you used to mount on your windshield. Uh, we, we had uh, an old GPS system and it showed us the contour of the road. And so for most of our way up that mountain, I wasn't even paying attention to the road. I was looking at the GPS and I was just kind of slowly uh, snaking our way up, uh, up that mountain. And it took a good long while for us to decide to go back down that mountain the next day, you know, to, to do some more sightseeing. We're like, I, don't, I think we'll just stay in the cabin you know, for, for the next couple of days, but, but we did it. And we were thankful for that GPS, that it kind of guided our path. God's presence, the idea that God came down the escalator and he gives us his Holy Spirit, I think it means everything. It specifically means that even when the road ahead seems certain, we have like a GPS screen that we can look at to guide us and direct us and help us. That there can be joy, hope, and peace because that is what God's presence brings. It brings joy, hope, and peace, even in uncertain times. He is all of those things. So he says to, to Jacob, I am with you. He also says to Jacob, I will watch over you. Now, here's the thing. In English, we tend to think of watching as a passive thing, right? That I'm going to go home after church, and I'm going to binge this Netflix show translation. I'm going home and doing nothing, right? And this is our view that a lot of people have of God, that he is kind of binging Netflix when it comes to the earth, Right, that he's up and he's watching. He's popped his popcorn. He loves a good show. Right? He's watching, uh, but he's not really engaged. And in the Hebrew, that's really not what this word means. As a matter of fact, the earliest use of this word uh, for I will watch over you actually doesn't describe God. It describes the first man and the first woman. Let me show it to you real quick. It says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden, and here we go, to work it, and take care of it. This is God's role in the world and in Jacob's life and in ours for that matter. He is watching, of course, but he's at work and he's engaged. He's executing his will. He's helping and empowering his people. He's keeping his promises just like he said to Jacob. He's not a far off God that like I said, has popped his popcorn. He's like, oh, this pandemic's gonna be real interesting to watch. Right, that's just kind of watching it. He's not a far off God. He's a God who sees, is active, and involved with his people. Now, all right, so that's kind of the buildup to, to where we're going, because now we're going to see Jacob's response to this. So he has this vision, the escalator coming up and down, God's angels. God says, man, through my angels, and eventually we know through the Son and through the Holy Spirit, I am going to be active and at work in this world. But God often uses angels, so we see this kind of escalator going up and down. And then God even speaks, hey, I am with you. I will watch over you. I will keep my promises to you. And then we get Jacob's response. And at first, he starts out really well, like with all things Jacob. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. 
He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early in the next morning, Jacob took the stone that he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, uh, though the city used to be called Luz. Luz. Whatever. All right. So Jacob starts out really good here. He identifies this was not any ordinary dream. This was God. And he names the place Bethel, which in Hebrew literally means house. So he says, man, this may be like a pasture, and I may have used a stone for a pillow, but this is actually church, right? This is God's house. He's present here. He's alive. He's active. He's with me. He starts out well. This should be the response, by the way. When you've seen God and his glory and his majesty, it's like, this is the house of God. I may not be in a church building, but this is church. Right, this is where God is. He is active. He's involved. He is with me. He starts out well, and then, unfortunately, we get to verse 20. Then, God, then Jacob made a vow saying, if. Oh, Jacob. If God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me some food and to eat and some clothes to wear so that I can safely uh, so I can return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. found a lot of commentators really split on this, but my favorite one was Paul Kistling. He, he was here. Uh, he was the last person to preach in this room before the pandemic. I'm not saying it's his fault because it's not, but it just happens to... It just happens to be true. He was the last one to preach in this room. Uh, he was our guest two years ago. And his uh, study of this text, he says, I don't know what to make of this. I don't know what to make of Jacob here. Put it on the screen for you. If God, you gotta be kidding me, Jacob. If God will be with me, if he'll watch over me, if he'll provide for me, if, it's odd because first of all, Jacob growing up with Isaac, he would have already heard how God had been at work in the world. He surely, because this story had been passed down from generation to generation, he had already heard how God had created the sun and the moon and the stars and the first man and the first woman and all of this stuff. He'd already heard the story of creation and how God had created something from nothing. But also, Jacob would have grown Growed up, <laughs> Jacob would have been growing up to hear about how God had been at work in his own family. So in addition to hearing how God was at work in the world, he would have heard these stories of how God had called his grandfather Abraham, how God had worked through his father Isaac, how God had called them and helped them and blessed them and empowered them. And later, uh, lastly, I should say, God has, uh, Jacob has already seen how God has been at work in his own individual life. Through the dream and through these words and through all of this calling. If, God, if you show up, if you provide, if you bless, if, then I will follow, I will tithe, I will worship, I will bless you back. If, are you kidding me, Jacob? And I want to say a couple things, more than a couple, but let me say what I prepared to say. 
that first of all, I think we want to guard ourselves against this attitude of pride. That I, as a sinful human being, would dare to make demands of a holy God. Hey, prove yourself to me. The fact of the matter is that God in his grace has already demonstrated his presence and his power throughout human history. It is a grace. He didn't have to do it. He wanted to do it. It's a grace and it's true. To you and to me, God has already demonstrated to us who he is. You and I, we've read the same kind of story that Jacob would have heard. We read uh, two years ago the story of God creating the heavens and the earth. We've seen how he has worked throughout human history. We, we've seen how some 6,000 years later, Jesus happens onto the scene and, and the son of God came down the escalator and he's at work in human history and we have his words and his miracles and his death and his resurrection. We have all of this stuff about Jesus. In addition to this, I bet if we went around this room today, we could extend church by about five hours if we did, and we could begin to tell stories in individual lives of how God has been at work in their extended family. One of you would stand up and you would say, you are not gonna believe how God called my grandparents to salvation 100 years ago. Another of you would stand up and say, you are not gonna believe what God did in my parents' lives. One of you would stand up and you'd say, you're not gonna believe how my uncle left behind his addiction, how my cousin answered God's call and went into ministry. And person after person after person in this room could stand up and say, yeah, I wanna celebrate the resurrection. I wanna celebrate creation. I wanna celebrate the incarnation. I wanna celebrate all of that. But let me also just tell you about this God who has been at work in my extended family. And we could hear story after story after story. Church would break out. But in addition to that, we could again go around this room and we could begin to tell work uh, stories about how God has been at work in our individual lives. How God's son came down the escalator and met us where we were. How his Holy Spirit came down and indwelled us and made us new. And person after person, one of you would stand up and you would say, man, let me tell you what God's Holy Spirit has done in my marriage. Another of you would stand up and say, let me tell you what the Holy Spirit has done in our family. Let me tell you how Jesus has been at work in my work life. Let me tell you what Jesus did in a health situation. God has been at work in this room a thousand ways. And when I think about all of that, I can't help but think if falls just a tiny bit short. If, if God you show up, if God you move, if God you make a difference, what is he talking about? God has already been at work in his life and yours. What is this if? I don't think if is the right response. I think because is the right response. God, because you are creator. God, because you are savior. God, because you are all powerful and all knowing and all present. Because you are the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. Because you sent your son, your one and only son, whom you love for my sins. 
because you sent your Holy Spirit 2,000 years ago to indwell me and help me and empower me? Because, because you are God. God, you don't need to prove another thing to me. Your resurrection, your presence, your work in human history, your work in my family, your work in my individual life, because... So because of who you are, I will worship you with my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I will worship you with all that I have. Because, I will, because of who you are, I will obey your commands and I will follow your ways to the best of my ability. Because of who you are, I will not lose heart. Though outwardly I am wasting away, inwardly I'm being made new by new by new every single day. I will never lose heart. Because of you, I will not hold back. I will not shrink back. I will be bold. I will attempt any challenge you call me to. And because of who you are, I will walk in faithfulness all the days of my life, and I will not turn my back. If falls way short, guys. God has proven himself to Jacob. Jacob is the son of Isaac, who is the son of Abraham, who God called in the middle of the desert to follow him, and God had been so good to this family, and I bet God's been good to yours as well. I know he's been good to mine. And the proper response, and I think we all have it at different times, the proper response is to respond the way that Jacob did. You know, especially in the middle of, like, a pandemic, in the middle of hardship, in the middle of trial, it's like, well, God, you know, one more, kind of one more time, if you'll do this, this, or this, I'll obey, I'll follow, I'll be true. And it's not that God never does that. Sometimes he does in his grace. But I want us to take a step back just a little bit and say, in love, how much more does he need to prove to you? How much more does he need to do for you and for me to prove himself? He created this beautiful world he created every single person in this room. He's, we fell into sin and he sent his son, Jesus, his son, his one and only son whom he loved to die for our sins. That savior resurrected from the dead and has given us his Holy Spirit. He's proven a lot. And he loves you. And he's come for you. And he's died for you. And he's inviting you into a relationship with him. And what I came here this morning to say is stop running Stop laying down ultimatums, if then. And take a step back in humility because I really believe this response of if, I really believe it's prideful. That me as a sinful God would say to everything that the God of the universe has done that I would dare say to him, prove yourself. I think it's arrogant. I think the humble response is, boy, you've done an awful lot and you've been a good God and I will bow my head and bend my knee and worship and obey to the best of my ability. Not if, you've done enough because of who you already are. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. Uh, we thank you for all that he's done. And I never, um, I never wanna come across as uh, angry because I, I'm, I'm not. I, I felt like I was preaching kinda hard. Um, I don't feel angry about this. I feel impassioned. That when I think about what you've done in human history, 
And I think about what you've done in my extended family. When I think about what you've done in my immediate family. And when I think about what you've done in my life. I would never want my response to you to be if. You've done so much. And you've been so much. And you are so good. May I be a person that just bends my knee and worships and obeys to the best of my ability and follows you all the days of my life. May we kind of turn away from this kind of Jacob approach that you show yourself in a dream, your verbal words come to him, I'm with you, I'm helping you. I'm gonna, all right, if, if you do all that you say, you know, I'll, I'll follow then. I, I don't, I don't want to be that way, Lord. I want to love you and follow you all the days of my life. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray, amen. When we talk about how God has been at work in human history, we're gonna receive communion right now because to me, like this is the deal, right? You talk about, show us who you are, God. He said, all right, let me show you who I am. And he put on human flesh and he came to earth, became a man, went to a cross, died for our sins. And this is that moment right now where I think when we understand the cross and the resurrection, we move away from if. And in this moment, when we think about the cross and the, and the, the death of Jesus and the resurrection, this is the moment that we really say, because. Because of what your son has done. Because of what you've accomplished, I will worship you. I will follow you. I will obey you. I will turn from my sin and receive your grace and your forgiveness. God, I'm all in with you. And so we're going to receive communion right now. Uh, our servers will pass it out, and you can just kind of hold on to it and just thank God for all the becauses in your life, all the, all the things that he's done um, for you and in you. Going back to the Bible, like all the stories in the Bible, your extended family, your immediate family, and you as an individual. Thank him for all that he's done. But I want us to pay special attention to the cross in this time. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for paying for my sin. Thank you for making me right with God that I had become separated from because of my sin. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Because. Because of what you've already done, I'll follow you. Let's receive and then I'll come back up and we'll take it all together. His body he gave for you. His blood he poured out. May we uh, leave this room filled up with an attitude of because because he died, because he gave his body and his blood on our behalf so that we could know, honor, worship, and follow God because of all that he's done. May we consider how we can worship and obey and follow more fully in response to who he is and what he's already um, done. Uh, will you guys stand with me? Uh, we're gonna continue uh, on in our series uh, next Sunday. Um, we're gonna be uh, looking at um, uh, Jacob and uh, um he goes and uh, he wants to marry Rachel. He ends up marrying Leah in the story. And uh, you'll be glad to know my 10-year-old's been helping me with some jokes on this story. So um, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to sharing them with you. It should be uh, fireball, possibly. So um, we'll, we'll see how next Sunday goes. But, but I still have my job. So um, hey, uh, God bless you guys. Because, because, because. May we leave this place responding to who he is. Uh, let's close with one last song.